Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. Tom Moran here from Tom's Big Spiders. So this one today I was thinking about for a little while. It was actually going to be last week's episode, and I switched things up a bit, and it kind of went in line with the whole holiday thing. But I was kind of thinking, what if as a hobby, as a group of hobbyists, we were able to somehow sit down and come up with like a code of conduct or kind of like our Ten Commandments for the hobby? And obviously, this isn't going to happen. And obviously, when I I always have to point out that when I use the term the hobby, I put quotes around it because it's it's really a non-entity. It's a bunch of people that like spiders, but we do come together on social media. We do go back and forth. There is you know a little micro economy going on with breeders and dealers and everything. It, it, I guess it is kind of a a thing, a institution, if you will, but in a way it's really not. I always struggle with this one because I've had discussions with people before and I find myself using the term the hobby and then I'm like, well, what is the hobby? Well, the hobby is just a bunch of people that like spiders and the trade that goes along with it. So we'll use that as a definition. But imagine if we're able to sit down and kind of come up with some rules people should follow, some things anybody that gets heavy into the hobby. And again, we're not talking about the person that buys one spider at Petco and keeps it for 20 years. We're talking about those of us who really get hooked and start buying a lot of different species. We get on the forums, we get on the Facebook groups, we do the YouTube videos, we do podcasts, whatever it may be, websites, whatever it may be you're doing, you're you're really diving in and it's becoming part of your everyday life. So I have been thinking about this for a while. What would be our our 10 commandments, our list of rules that everybody that gets in the hobby should follow, that should keep them kind of following that straight and narrow path where they're a good hobbyist and a good representative of our quote-unquote institution. And to come up with it, I kind of wanted to, I came up with the idea a while back and I kind of wanted to just wait and kind of observe and see what types of issues we have. I think I've alluded to it before that I have people that, you know, friends in the hobby that we've talked many times over the years about how poorly we represent ourselves. And sometimes it's very, for lack of a better term, gringy to see people out there that are in those public forums and those public areas kind of speaking, whether they mean to or not, speaking for us all and making us look bad. And I, again, obviously, I've spent a lot of my life trying to make the hobby accessible for people, try to explain how to keep these animals, try to improve my own husbandry. I've got a lot invested in this. So for me, it's it's sometimes, it's difficult to sit back and watch somebody come on or watch a group of people come on and make us look really bad as a group. I think we've talked about in other podcasts the fact that although we as a quote-unquote hobby see ourselves as a, a wonderful I don't know if we could use organization, a group that a shared kinship. We all love these animals that the vast majority of people out there do not care for. I think that's putting it lightly. A lot of people loathe them. A lot of people are terrified of them. So I think there is something that brings us together in that respect. And I think there are folks out there that do a lot of good. But I also think that as a group, we do a lot that makes us look bad. And then within the group, you know, within our own numbers, there are folks that just come into the hobby and don't seem to get how it should work. The fact that we are dealing with living creatures, with living animals that deserve to have keepers or owners, whatever you want to refer to it as, that actually do their homework, that know how to take care of these animals, that give them a proper environment. This is, I think we have an interesting situation specifically in the tarantula hobby in that we're not just people that keep 
pets we collect. We have a tendency to collect. I think that's when we talk about folks that are quote unquote in the hobby. We're again talking about the ones that have collections of tarantulas. And unfortunately, unlike other hobbies where you collect things, we're collecting living animals that require certain conditions to thrive and live happy, healthy lives or happy being a relative term. We're not sure about how happy or whatever, but they to be content to live out their lives to the fullest. And I think that's where we sometimes get in trouble because it's a lot of folks who get into it are collectors and we're used to being able to collect inanimate objects and we get bored of them or we step away from them for a little while and nothing happens. If I decide suddenly that I'm not going to collect Blu-rays and DVDs anymore, I can box those up, stick them in the basement and nobody's going to get harmed. They're not going to they're not going to feel neglected. They're not going to require food, water, anything. They'll just sit there until I decide to do anything with them again or I can just go sell them. It's no big deal. If it, whatever you collect, if it's an inanimate object, then really there's not much you have to do with them to be responsible. However, with tarantulas, it's different because we are collecting something that is a living creature. And I think sometimes that's where we run into trouble, where people just go out and grab everything. They're like, oh, this is amazing. I can't tell you how many people I talk to that they they email me or leave a message. Hey, I got my first spider. And then within a month, hey, I'm on my 10th spider. Hey, I'm on my 30th spider. I had a guy recently contact me that bought 20 spiders, 20 slings at the exact same time. And it was only his second time buying tarantulas ever. Now, maybe he took great care of them. I know that early on when I was just getting into this, if I had bought 20 slings, I probably would have ended up with half of them dead because I was not past that phase yet where I was over fixating on them. I didn't really know what I was doing, but who knows? Maybe they went well. But it's if you go out and buy a box of Blu-rays, we'll stick with the movie thing. And you don't know what to do with your Blu-rays. No, no harm, no foul. I mean, I mean, you take them out, you put them in a machine, you take, hopefully take care of them, you take care of the boxes. I don't know. It, it's not really difficult. If you go out and buy 20 spiders, now you've got to learn the individual care for each one. What do they need? They need moist substrate, dry substrate. How do you set them up? Now you're in a situation where you're not caring for the animals well. And then unfortunately, a lot of this stuff will go public because people will get in a situation like this. They'll go online, they'll go to a forum, they'll go to a Facebook group, and they'll start asking questions about it. And then as people learn more about the situation, situation, it starts to become painfully apparent this person didn't do their homework. And there are other things out there. The other things that I think if all hobbyists were to follow these guidelines, then our quote unquote hobby would be a much more reputable establishment, for lack of a better term, a much more reputable force as far as getting people to appreciate why we like these animals, what we do, and to appreciate that we're not all a bunch of weirdos that sit in the dark blasting death metal and playing with spiders it's I, I think that image is a tough one to crack again I there are obviously some amazing people out there and I think on a whole I would say the majority of us do all the stuff we're about to go over but unfortunately it's one of those situations where all it takes a few bad apples to kind of ruin it for everybody I feel like sometimes we see ourselves and I know I've taken steps back before and kind of looked at us try to look at us from an outsider's perspective I think we're in many ways like the the drunk uncle at the wedding that he gets out there and he is busting moves and in his mind he is amazing he's he's doing dances nobody's ever seen before everybody's out there in awe of his his dance prowess but in reality everybody's got their cell phones out recording him because he looks like a drunk idiot out there dancing I think sometimes we as a hobby see ourselves in a way that's not necessarily how others that come in see us and I know this because a lot of times folks will join the hobby I join the hobby like there's official membership 
folks will start collecting tarantulas. They get involved in social media, and then they, they're like, wow, I'm really kind of shocked at the stuff that's said on the forums. I'm really kind of shocked at what's said on Facebook. I'm really kind of shocked that this is allowed to happen. I, so I do think sometimes we need to take a step back and take a look at ourselves in general and recognize that we can improve. In the very least, we can improve. And if we improve... Not only will it make it a better hobby all around, not only will it make it more inviting to folks that aren't currently collecting tarantulas, it not only will it maybe make folks that aren't into tarantulas all look at us with a little more respect and a little less like we're a bunch of weirdos, but I think as far as legal issues coming up, legislation, stuff like that, it paints a better picture of us. It makes us seem like more of a reliable and respectful group when we try to speak out to defend ourselves. So with that in mind, what we have today is just a list of 10 things that I think, and once you bring, they seem very simple on the surface, but when you break down what they entail, I think if we all did these 10 things, remind ourselves to do these 10 things, then we could vastly improve our hobby as a whole, as as far as how we interact and share information amongst ourselves, as far as what we look like to outsiders. Now, I'm going to be completely honest. A lot of this is a pipe dream. People will people, for lack of a better phrase. And there are always going to be the people out there that aren't in there for the best intentions. There are going to be people that are just jerks in real life. They get online, and guess what? They're jerks. You get the, the keyboard warriors, the ones that, you know, have terrible, pathetic lives at home, and then they they decide to exercise some control, try to feel big about themselves by getting online and demeaning people and being nasty. We're never going to get away from that. But I do think that if the majority of us started following some simple rules, we could drown out some of the, the bad apples that we have, so to speak. So number 10, I'm bringing this one up because it comes up a, a bit and I'm guilty of it, quite frankly, myself. I, uh, years ago, I did something that I, as soon as I did it, I regretted it. But number 10, never use your animals to scare or intimidate. may sound silly. I'm thinking most of us don't do this. However, there are folks out there, and I hear stories all the time of people that purposely scare the heck out of somebody they know who's an arachnophobe with one of their animals. Sometimes it's with the actual animal. I did have a guy say that he thought it was funny because he placed his spider on his brother, who is deathly afraid of spiders, and the brother just basically froze up with fear. And that makes zero sense to me. Another thing people do is... They they take old molts and they believe them places. And that's the one I'm guilty of. Granted, it was long before I really got into the hobby. It was when I had the queen. I had one of the queen's molts. And I had a kid that used to go on my desk all the time and grab pencils on my desk. I kept the pencils. I had a little old cigar box I'd keep my pencils in. So one day I took the cigar box and I put the queen's molt right on top of the pencils and put the cigar, cigar box back in my desk. And at the time, it was it was hysterical, his reaction. Big, big dude, like 6'4", 250 squealing when he saw the the molt in there and we all got a good laugh on it. And then years later, I realized that was dumb. I mean, the good thing is after it happened, we did take the molt out and I talked a bit about my tarantula. It was probably talking out of my butt a bit because I didn't know a whole heck of a lot about them back then. This was many, many years ago, but it did turn into kind of a cool conversation about exotic pets. I also had another situation years ago where we had somebody come over the house. I believe it was fixing the cable and they saw the tarantula room and they're like, wow, these are neat. And he's like, could I get a molt? And I'm like, yeah, sure. So I had my Brachypelma hemorii had just molted. So I gave him a hemorii molt. And he was like, oh, man, this is awesome. We put it in a little baggie. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of cool. And then as they're walking out the door, I heard them him talking to his partner about how they were going to scare the other guy they work with because he's absolutely deathly afraid of tarantulas. And part of me wanted to and probably should have went, all right, you can give it back to me then. That wasn't the purpose of it. But they're kind of headed out the door. I let it go. 
I kind of giggled along with them and it was only after the fact that I was like, that was a really bad idea. So one thing we want to do is make sure if we're going to set a good example, if we're going to win people over to, even if they don't join the hobby and grab spiders, but at least look at us like we're less crazy because we all know those looks when you tell people you keep spiders. We're all, anybody that's kept spiders for any length of time, you know the look you get when you try to explain to people what you do and they look at you like you're crazy. And I get it. I really do. Because years ago, 20, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, somebody had said, hey, I keep a bunch of spiders. Like, okay, that's, I okay, full disclosure, I probably would have been like, you're a weirdo, but I also would have been fascinated at the same time and wanted to see them. But a lot of people don't have that fascination. They just think we're weird. So let's set a good example. Never use them to intimidate or to scare people, to trigger people's arachnophobia, to trigger fear. That is completely counterproductive to what we should be trying to do if in the hobby. It's completely counterproductive to our mission, if we have one, so to speak, because we should be trying to, use these animals to educate people and show how amazing they are. Number nine, this one comes up and this directly, I think, impacts the legal issues we are running into now and will run into in the future because I'm not at all convinced that we're done having, at least in the United States, as far as the United States is concerned, bans on certain species, bans of importation of certain species, bans on certain species crossing state lines. It's getting scary because we, again, I've stated this ad nauseum, I know it, but it can't be understated the fact that we do not produce enough tarantulas in the United States to support the hobby here. We have to import from Europe. And as a result of that, if we were to ever find ourselves in a situation where a lot of these species were banned from being sold across state lines, banned from being imported in, we could very easily see the hobby fizzle up and dry up in a very short amount of time because we just don't have what it takes. Like, especially with the state to state lines or crossing state lines, smaller states are done. Like, we're not going to be able to get the majority of these species because there just aren't enough people to buy them. So, I, with that in mind, number nine is only support reputable dealers. Now, this can be tricky because a lot of times what happens, people come out, they start selling, and we don't know it for us. We're looking for transfers are expensive. And a lot of times, a lot of us will go out there and look for the best deal. I've done this back in the day, ordered from places that years later, and this is early on the hobby before I realized there's something called brown boxing, before I realized that you're not legally allowed to ship them through United States Postal Mail. Years ago, I bought some that I can probably look back at and go, I doubt that was a reputable deal. Or they were selling things a lot cheaper than everywhere else. They were getting uh, species in that you kind of wonder, how did you get those in? And you're just like, ah, well, they're cheap and the shipping's good, so I'm going to get them. It's really important that we support dealers that do things on the up and up. The ones that have the import licenses, the ones that know the laws, the ones that are shipping legally, we're talking FedEx, not US Post, not somebody was trying to ship one of them. They were asking me if you could ship through UPS. I said no. And they're like, well, I'm going to try it. No, you're not supposed to ship through UPS. A couple of years ago, FedEx finally allowed for, officially allowed for tarantulas to be shipped. There was a whole thing going on where we were trying to explain to the upper ups at FedEx, this is a good opportunity for them. There's no way these animals are going to get out. They're shipped safely. I made a video showing how they're packed. Everything. There was a lot of stuff that went on behind the scenes so that we can ship FedEx. So if you're getting something in, I know FedEx can be expensive. I know FedEx, unfortunately, lately hasn't been the most reliable. But if you want to order these guys, you got to make sure you do it legally. U.S. Post, they'll turn a blind eye to it. They've been doing it for years. There's people that ship U.S. Post. They've never had any issue with it. 
but unfortunately it is illegal. And even though they may be getting away with it at their post office, there's been situations where people have gotten things from U.S. Post. They go to pick it up. They go, oh, would you get a tarantula? And the post person looks at them and goes, oh, no, those are illegal. You know, I could confiscate that right now. We don't want that. And we definitely won't, don't want to order from folks who are brown boxing. Brown boxing is when they order stuff usually from overseas and they ship it through regular mail. When you actually have to order tarantulas, import tarantulas legally, there's a lot of paperwork involved. There's licenses involved. There's money involved to pay for the shipping because they ship them right overnight. And folks at Brown Box are not only skirting rules, not skirting rules, they're breaking laws, let's put it that way, and they're jeopardizing the spiders. Because I've heard horror stories of people that at Brown Box, you know, the spiders show up three weeks later and the majority of spiders are dead. It's just a horrible thing. I did a whole article on Brown Boxing and there is a podcast on Brown Boxing for those that are going, wait, what is this Brown Boxing thing that he's talking about? So it is important to do your homework, look up reviews, find out if, when in doubt, ask. I've, I've told people before and I've had people that told me, yeah, I flat out asked this person where are they getting the spiders from because they should be able to tell you you know i've got an import license i got them from or there's people that import that will sell wholesale to other people and they might say hey i got them from blah blah who's got an import license feel be sure to do your homework we don't want to support folks that break those rules that brown box or we have a situation now with animals that aren't allowed to cross state lines the peaceful the peaceful etheria sri lankan peaceful etheria we had folks uh not too long back that were kind of trying to skirt the rules there we need to avoid that. We need to make sure that we can show we police ourselves, we follow the laws that are out there, and that starts with where we purchase our tarantulas from. So make sure we're only supporting those reputable dealers. Feel free to do your homework. Feel free to put out a query on the boards or on, you know, usually people will chime in rather quickly and don't look for, oh my God, they were so nice to me. Look for stuff like, where are they getting their spiders from? Where they, it always, what freaks me out a little bit where suddenly you get a new tarantula dealer out that has species that nobody's seen around here before. It's like, where did they get all those? So I usually hang back a little bit and wait to see and get some, collect some information before I actually order because I don't ever want to support somebody that's not following those rules. I know we may not agree with the rules. I know there's going to be people out there going, I don't care about that. I don't care if they cross state lines. It's a ridiculous rule. It's a ridiculous law. That's fine, but it is a law. And if enough of us get caught breaking it, it's just going to make us look bad and it's going to mean more laws in the future. Number eight, I toyed with this one a little bit and was trying to decide whether to put it on the list and ultimately feel like it should be on the list. Luis Roque and I did a huge podcast on it about basically stay informed, being an informed hobbyist. That means if you get enough into this hobby where you're collecting all these different species, you should find some way to keep track of things like name changes, like you know changes in species identification. You should be keeping track of husbandry updates. You should never be one of those people that just keeps picking up animals and refuses to learn anything about them or to keep up with them. So, for example, I just had somebody contact me recently asking about Uathlis species red, and I actually read it and stared at it for a minute, and I'm like, wait a minute, why do I know that name? That was the original name or the name that H. Chalensis went under for quite some time back when I was writing stuff about it. And at first I was like, oh crud, this is my fault because I know I have some stuff on my website that involved that. But then when I went back with the guy, he goes, oh no, I heard about that, but they're going to always be Uathlis species read to me. And I was kind of like, really? Like, th this is a big deal that the name was changed. And the guy's like, I don't go by those name changes. That's just somebody trying to get famous. And I've heard that one before where they think that people are out there just changing names to try to get a name for themselves. They don't understand what's going on beh behind the scenes as far as taxonomy is concerned about the level of 
research these guys do, examining different specimens. They don't seem to understand this is a huge scientific deal when somebody looks at one of those animals that we label as species. Because remember, when it has that designation of species, it means we don't know what it is yet. Nobody's really examined it. So it's a big thing. It's a big deal when that happens. So I think it's important, and I put this one on here because I really do think it's important for people to keep up with that stuff. I find it kind of exciting. Again, I've talked about before with some of the species, you know, the B. smithy, when when we realized that what we originally were keeping as B. smithy was actually B. hammeri, hammeri, that name change kind of messed me up a little bit. Uh, the I've talked before about Bumba Cabocla being Bumba Harita now. That one, I love that old name, but hey, it means there's progress. It means they're actually examining these animals. So staying informed with the name changes, with the species identifications, with husbandry updates. When somebody comes forward and we start realizing, hey, we were keeping these things wrong for a little while. We need to update what we used to do. That's important. So it's obviously great that people have social media to go out and interact and mingle with and converse with folks that share what many would see as a very strange hobby. But we also have places that you can go and get information from about them. There are also a great place whether, you know, you're on a Facebook group, whether you're on Arachnoboards, Arachnoboards is a wonderful place to go. Even if you're not posting and hobnobbing with the people there, just usually when there's a name change or some type of a taxonomical change, it's posted up there. It's good to keep track of that stuff. We need to stay informed. A good hobbyist is an informed hobbyist. And part of being informed is not just posting pictures of your spider up and going, look how cute, look how beautiful, but also going on social media, using social media for as an educational tool to keep up with husbandry and taxonomy changes. So definitely stay in, staying informed is a huge part of the hobby and I wish more people would do it. I mean, obviously it takes all sorts. Uh, we have all kinds of people in the hobby. We have some folks who just aren't into research. They're not folks who go out there and, and enjoy doing a bunch of reading on stuff like that. So will this ever happen? Will, will the majority of us ever do this? I don't know. Probably not. But I don't think it's very difficult to go online and just hear somebody explain, hey, this species is now this species and make that change and kind of try to understand why that's happening. And the very least appreciate the fact that when that happens, it's not somebody just going out trying to make a name for themselves. It's somebody who is studying these creatures so we can learn more about them. And that is a very good thing. Number seven, never hybridize your animals. I toyed with whether or not to put this on here, but then I got another hybrid question this week and I decided that it definitely needs to be put on there. Now, again, I, I think I shared that I had somebody, a couple people after the hybrid one, when I did the whole thing about hybridization, they came out and like, I don't understand what the big deal is with this. If you want to hear my thoughts on hybridization and why I don't agree with it and why I do think we should absolutely avoid it in the hobby, why I don't think any experience, I've, I've explained this and unfortunately, Unfortunately, sometimes what happens is people come at another angle, try to come at another angle with it, and I'm never going to change my mind on this. What it comes down to, and this goes back to my point earlier, that we are going to eventually find ourselves in the United States where we can't get new spiders in, where we aren't going to be able to import these new species that we're finding. We're not going to be able to import the old species we're finding. Many of us like having what we think are pure animals. Are there hybrids out there? Yes, there are. Does it happen accidentally? probably more often than we'd like to admit. Yes, but does that mean we should purposely do it? Heck no. We should be trying to keep these guys pure so that we know that when years down the road, we have something that resembled at least closely as possible the original T. albopelosis or the original B. hemorii. We don't want to have a, a point where we muddle the gene pool that we have all these hybrids out there and that's it. That's all we got. We want to keep the purity. It's going to become even more important 
as we face more legislation, at least in the United States, uh, folks overseas, you seem to be lucky in this regard, at least, as we receive more regulations, more laws prohibiting us from crossing state lines, from importing importing them in, that we try to keep our stock over here as pure as possible. I will argue that until I'm blue in the face. There are several points that I bring up and have brought up over the years that I am willing to kind of try to see both sides on and concede that both sides have valid points. I have yet to hear anybody give me a valid point why we should hybridize tarantulas. I I can see where they're coming from. I go, all right, I see, but no. Having been in the hobby this long and having seen what can happen with it and seen what happens when I buy something I think is a purebred and realize it's probably not, I really believe strongly that we should avoid that. So is is this something everybody wants to vote for? If we were going to put this up the vote, would some people vote against it? Probably. I think the vast majority of folks I've talked to in the hobby, especially after even ones that I try to explain, like when they go, why is it a bad deal? And I explain it. There's an aha moment. They go, oh, that makes total sense. The majority of them get it. But are there going to be folks out there that disagree? Are there going to be folks out there that look at it differently or come from different hobbies where it's not such a big deal? Yeah. And I'm not disparaging them at all. I'm just saying that to keep our hobby as pure as possible, to keep our hobby, to keep as many of these species available as possible. We need to avoid hybridization. So number six, I think a lot of us find ourselves in situations where, and sometimes it starts with social media, but we have a couple social media ones popping up that this, I don't believe necessarily falls under exclusively social media, even in person. We're telling friends, family, coworkers, sometimes folks we don't know all that well, about our hobby. We get caught in a situation. I've been in a situation where I've been at a table with a bunch of adults and somebody's like, well, Tom's just going to go home and play with spiders. And I'm like, oh gosh, here we go. And then somebody's like, what does that mean? And then I end up getting in a huge discussion about the hobby. And I'm sure many of us can think of times where this has happened to us. So I think it is incredibly important that as people that collect tarantulas, keep tarantulas, love tarantulas, tarantulas, spiders, all, all the same, that we represent the hobby in a professional and intelligent way to non-hobbyists. We're all used to things, people looking at us. My favorite is like, oh my God, if you were my husband, I'd kick you out. Or, oh my God, I'd burn the whole house down rather than have that. We've all heard the same stuff, the same things from people who are, unfortunately, they've been raised in a way that they find tarantulas and spiders to be loathsome. They're scared of them. We need to be able to combat that with intelligence and with articulate responses that don't play into the fact that, again, like I alluded to earlier, that people think we're all weirdos for keeping them. And I think that's incredibly important. I've heard some stories, wonderful stories, from folks who have been in situations like the one I just described, where they're at a work meeting or something, the tarantula thing comes up, and they they basically turn it into a moment to educate. This is why I enjoy the animals. This is why spiders are good for the environment. They come in different colors. They start roping people in. And then suddenly that fear and that loathing turns into fascination. And I've heard some great stories by folks who have brought tarantulas into schools and use them as a tool to educate people about animals in general. Amazing stuff. But I've also heard stories of people like saying things like, yeah, somebody said they were going to light my freaking tarantula on fire. And I told them, how about I light your kid on fire? That's going to that's gonna get you nowhere. That just makes you sound like an idiot. It just makes you sound like the crazy person they already think you are. It's incredibly important for those of us who enjoy these animals to represent them in a way that doesn't fall into the stereotypes everybody holds 
about people who keep tarantulas. It's very important for us to show them that we are intelligent keepers, that we are intelligent human beings. Sometimes just admitting right off the bat, hey, I totally get it. I I love starting off with the fact that I used to be arachnophobic and that if someone told me 25 years ago I would have a collection with about 250 arachnids in it, I would have laughed in their face. Sometimes that helps break the ice and go, hey, I totally get it. I get why you, I, my mom hated spiders. I don't call her ever. My dad didn't like us to kill him, which was great, but she was afraid of spiders. I have people that I talk to that like, oh my God, every time I see a spider, I kill it. But if you can get to them, if you can represent in an intelligent way, they start seeing you a little less like a weirdo. And they also, you get things where somebody will go, and I love these stories. My daughter screamed the other day. She was in the shower. There was a spider. I ran in and instead of smashing it, I put it in a cup and I put it outside. I took it in a cup and put it in the basement. I love stories like that. And I hear a lot of them. I'm sure others out there do as well. If you become combative, if you fall into that trap of being like, all right, you're going to say something nasty about my spider. I'm going to say something nasty about you. And I know we've all done it to prove a point online where somebody would, you, you post up, and this is where it sometimes comes into play on the social media. Somebody will post up on their private, you know, Facebook page. Hey, I got a new spider today. And some jerk comes on and goes, man, I would smash that. And then somebody, the person will come back and go, well, do you have a cat or dog? I notice you have a little puppy. How about I go over there and smash your puppy? I know we've all been there to try to prove a point. Like we love these animals, stop doing it, but it doesn't really help the cause any. So I believe that a huge, and, and again, we attract all sorts. So this might be a bit of a pipe dream because there's some people, they're just not built to have those type of conversations. They're not, it's hard for them to rein in those emotions when somebody says something like, I want to kill your pet or you're a weirdo and not come back in something that's, you know, retaliatory it's it's never going to completely happen. But if we could all try to keep that in mind and try to keep a level head and try to remember that these people are just, for lack of a better term, ignorant about these animals, it would make it a lot better for us as a whole because we would rope more people in. I have talked to people who were those ones that would sit there and go on people's page and go, I don't understand why they're collecting tarantulas and now they're collecting tarantulas. We want more of that. So definitely when you're talking to people who are non-hobbyists, be professional, be intelligent, represent us well. Now, I almost had this, I originally had this as part of the previous one about educating people, but I do think it's it's a separate entity. And I think it's important to think about this one because it is a huge part of what, it's the infrastructure of our hobby right now. It's, it's our infrastructure for discourse. It's how we talk about it. It's how we learn things. Social media, just let's just take a look at the picture of social media and the hobby. This one when on social media involving spiders, conduct yourself with respect and dignity. Again, this one's a pipe dream. People will people. There are going to be jerks out there. There's a guy in arachnoboards, and I bet you everybody that's been on arachnoboards can tell who I'm talking about. I don't know how he's been allowed to do it, but for years he goes on there. He's just a miserable freaking human being. And all he does is when somebody posts a question if he doesn't find it, even if there's some legitimate questions, he tears it apart. We all know those people. Terrible representative of the hobby. Terrible representative of arachnoboards. It's sad because there are some great people on arachnoboards. And unfortunately, that's the type of person people focus on. That's the type of person that has represented arachnoboards for years. Social media between, you know, arachnoboards, Facebook, all the groups, that's the place where we can all go congregate and talk to other folks that are like-minded and get information. And a lot of folks... And we'll get to, the, there's another one coming up, but this one kind of helps folks that aren't good at this other one. 
a lot of folks come there looking for information on stuff. And we don't always treat people with respect on the boards. As a matter of fact, and again, I say this is a pipe dream because I'm a realist. I get there's no, that's just part of social media. A big part of social media is you're going to have, for lack of a better term, toxic people out there, people that aren't very polite, people that are nasty, people that go on there and get their jollies to feel more powerful by berating and ridiculing other people, people that come on and troll. Obviously, there's trolls out there just put stuff up there to get people riled up and then they kick back and they uh, in their basements and uh, they giggle and think they're so awesome. I don't know. People will people. Again, that's going to come up quite a bit. But if we could police these groups and make sure and try our best to keep this course that is happening on them professional, polite, let's not attack people, let's avoid the hot button topics that just get people yelling at each other, let's treat everybody with respect and dignity. Unfortunately, something that's sorely lacking, I, sometimes it's great because I'll have people that come on and they go, I, I will often recommend places like Arachnoboards or some Facebook groups that I've, you know, I, I don't really participate very much, but I know some good ones out there seem to be, overall, they keep the drama down. And I'll recommend it to people. And sometimes they come back like, oh, what a great group of people. They're so nice and supportive. And then other times they're like, I don't know what I walked into. Oh my gosh, there's so much drama. And unfortunately, drama is part of social media. Let's just call it as it is. So again, this one, I almost didn't put it on here because it's like a pipe dream of mine that people would just be able to go online and communicate in a constructive way and recognize that some people may have different opinions, that to not say things to troll people, to get people upset just for giggles. I, there's no, I doubt it'll never really happen, but I do wish more of us would keep this in the back of our mind when we're conducting ourselves on social media, that there's a way to do things that people are going to hear you out, that it's going to lead to better, more constructive discourse as opposed to a flame war or folks just basically causing drama, just to get people riled up. Let's just try to keep in mind at all times when we're on social media that if we're on one of these tarantula groups, if we're on a tarantula forum or tarantula subreddit, whatever it may be, that we're all in this together. We're all into this weird hobby and everybody else looks at us like weirdos. Let's try to keep it civil. Let's try to keep it polite. Let's try to support each other rather than tear people down and try to cause conflict to watch drama so we can get out the popcorn and watch another thread blow up with people going back and forth. Again, will we ever stop it? No. People are going to do what they do. But it is something I think people should keep in mind and people that are serious about the hobby should be conducting themselves in a polite and professional way when interacting on social media. Number four, this is a huge one, and being a teacher, it, it hits close to home for me. We, as a hobby, have an issue sometimes, a lot of times, with what we perceive as stupid questions. We have an issue with people coming forward, and again, this is going to come back to, we're, we're leading up into one that is going to cover this situation, which is what should ideally happen, but sometimes it doesn't happen. You'll see when I get to it, but we have an issue sometimes if somebody will come on, ask a question, and everybody has seen that question a million times, and we jump on them, and we tear them apart, and we make them feel stupid. And the way the hobby is, a lot of our information is gleaned from other keepers. We share it. There is, again, that healthy discourse where if you're not getting it from YouTube videos or websites online, it's from just talking to other keepers. I think that's a huge part of the hobby and should always remain a huge part of the hobby that we can talk to other keepers and ask them questions and not have to worry about getting ridiculed or made fun of or made to feel stupid. So number four, hugely important, educate, don't berate. I certainly can understand that it can be frustrating sometimes to see somebody that's got a bunch of spiders that asks a question that should have been answered in research leading up to them getting the spiders. I get it. And believe me, I don't think anybody has answered as many of these questions 
as I have over the course of the years. I get them all the time, daily, several times a day through email emails, through website comments, through YouTube comments, whatever it may be. I've answered some of these questions, no exaggeration, probably at this point, thousands of times. I get it. We see the same ones over and over again. I get it. If somebody would just do a search, you'd see it. But we need to stop with chastising people when they ask. We can't, we never want to close down that those lines of communication. As frustrating as it may be, here's my my thing about it. If you're online and in a social media group and somebody asks a question, you're like, dear God, I've answered this one 20 times, then sit it out. Somebody's gonna come on. Somebody will always politely come on and go, Oh, that means this. Your spider slipped over on its back, it's not dead, it's molting. Have a nice day. And they give a nice, because they're probably not burned out by doing it before. There's always somebody out there that's willing to jump on and do it politely. Let them do it. There's no need for 30 people to pile on and go, you should know this by now. If you did a little bit of research, you'd know. It doesn't help anything. It's not helpful. I can't tell you how many times I get emailed by people who are like, yeah, I was on this forum. I was on this Facebook group. And I asked a question. I got torn apart. And I always apologize. Like, you know, people do, unfortunately, it's, it is a question that's asked quite a bit, but here's the deal. And I try to politely do it. So there's ways to do it. Like, hey, you probably shouldn't have done a little bit of research, but then give them the information they need so they aren't driven off. Because a lot of these folks, when they, they not only will hang around after they learn this stuff, they'll be the ones taking over answering these questions a lot of us see as, you know, over asked or easy or beginner questions. So Let's remember that, and I've said this many, many times over the years, I love seeing examples. Billy's on Facebook more than I am. And a lot of times I get the, oh my God, this person asked this and look at them get shredded. And every once in a while, it's like, I'll go on one of the groups and I'll see somebody ask something and people very politely say, hey, this is the answer to your question. Just a heads up. You may want to like do a little research. They do it in a nice way. So the person hopefully is going to walk away not feeling like a total idiot and that they will remain. They'll keep those lines of communication open. And that's a big thing. It's all about communicating in this hobby and communicating ideas and ways of keeping things, husbandry, information. And when somebody is made to feel stupid because they ask a stupid, quote unquote, stupid beginner question, what ends up happening? They close off. They don't come back. They won't ask those questions anymore. Then those questions aren't getting asked. And again, we'd like to think that people that do this immediately go out and go, all right, I'm not going to ask questions anymore. I'm just doing the research. A lot of them don't. They don't know how to. They're not good at the research. So now we just have a situation where they're not keeping the spider properly. And unfortunately, the avenue that they could use, human discourse, to solve their problems and get some information has been closed off. So please, if anything, this is a big one. Remember to help people out and to educate. Don't make fun of them. Don't tear them down. Don't talk about their terrible keepers. Don't call them stupid. Don't call them lazy. It does nothing. And if you're feeling those emotions, which I get, believe me, I get how frustrating that can be. I deal with it with my own videos. I've told you guys one of my biggest pet peeves on the planet is I will put together a video where I put together every piece of information I can possibly think of. And then somebody will go, hey, this is a great video. Can you tell me how to keep the species? It drives me nuts. And I, I bite my tongue and I try to go, hey, if you leave, you know, watch the video, that's all I've got. If I think if I can give them any quick information to help them out, like, all right, this one needs it moist, something that I know they need to set it up right, I'll give it. But normally I point it back to the video, but I never make fun of them for it because that's just driving people away. That's somebody that may come to me later on with another question they need help that could be a matter of life or death situation with the spider. So... Educate, don't berate, be an example. We learn from each other. Let's keep those avenues open so that we can continue to learn from each other. Number three, run into this one a lot. 
And I think it's something we always need to keep in mind in our own keeping. I think a lot of us, when we get into keeping, tarantula keeping, we are observant people. We like working with animals. We like observing animals. We like finding patterns with animals. We like, you know, there's not a lot going on with spiders. So when they do something different, we immediately latch onto it and go, whoo, I wonder why it's doing that. I wonder why it's doing this. Number three, always try to recognize the difference between opinion and fact. And I'm going to throw this one in here because I was thinking about breaking them apart, but I think they kind of go in together. Recognize the difference between some anecdotal evidence and scientific evidence. And what I mean by that is we have, an, and we're, we've all done it. We've all done it. I don't care who you are. You see something in your collection with one of your spiders and you assume that's the norm. My spider, we get it a lot when we talk about, and last week's episode was talking about temperament. We get it a lot with temperament, and this is where I see it most most often rear its head. Somebody, I will come on in a video and say, this species has a reputation for being rather skittish, and what will end up happening? Half the people will come forward. I've kept one of these guys for two years now, and mine is actually very laid back, and I can handle her. So they are not a skittish species. And I have people say they are not, like, by looking at one spider they keep. Or vice versa, I will come on and say, this is a very docile spider. Most keepers report this is a very docile spider. And if you know my videos and you know how I do stuff, I always mention that they could be a difference between specimen to specimen from spider to spider. So I always have that in there. But people will hear that it's a calm spider. I have one of them. It's the meanest thing ever. I tell people not to get them. They're the meanest spiders out there. They generalize. They look at something they see in their collection and they generalize and just assume everybody's does the same thing. And this can be dangerous because we get people, for example, someone just contacted me about C. Lividus and their whole point was they had read something. I think it was an article. I don't know if it was an article or an email. Which I don't know if it was an article or a video, but they basically said they have a seed lividus that has never burrowed. It likes the web and they don't understand why people say they're fossorial. They're not fossorial. And I came back and went, well, in the wild, this is a fossorial species. And the majority of people that keep them have found they will bur burrow. As I said, as a matter of fact, I explained the whole background that people were keeping them incorrectly at first. So they were getting very, very nasty ornery spiders because they would have to web up the enclosures. You take the top off. You guys know the drill. It tears up the web. The spider gets pissed off. That whole deal. And the person's like, no, no, no. They're just, I think people are keeping them incorrectly. You just got to give them some room to web. They don't need a lot of substrate. They'll do just fine. And it was like, again, I tried to keep my cool on it and try to educate, don't be right, but try to explain with, all right, yours is obviously an odd duck. There are always odd ducks out there. There are spiders that don't necessarily do what we expect them to do. And that's always going to happen. But trying to explain that just because yours bucked the trend and didn't dig, and again, he supposedly had given it room the substrate to dig in, it didn't use it, that's fine. Sometimes they don't do that. I've had other ones do that. I uh, One that comes to mind is H. pulcropies. They are considered to be kind of a burrowing spider. I've had one that burrows and it has a den, and I have a female that has been out in the open for years now, doesn't want anything to do with burrowing. There's always those odd ducks. But I think we do have a terrible, terrible problem in the hobby that we're left with these spiders that we're keeping. We're studying them. We're watching them. We're, we're remarking on the behavior differences. They do something different. They're climbing the side of the cage. They're bur suddenly burrowing. They're suddenly left their burrow and they're webbing. And we start coming up with generalities that we try to then apply to every species of that tarantula. We're all guilty of it. And I think it's very important for us to always remember that, and this goes back to the whole running theme of this one, that discourse, that we need to run this by other people. We can't just sit there and see something happen in our collection, go, I keep... I get this one quite a bit where somebody will call and sometimes they'll do it to me with like somebody just did it with H uh, no it was G Polkerpies I've had I believe four G Polkerpies now and I have a pretty good judge of their temperament 
I've spoken to many other people about G Poker Peas. Well, somebody came back, said they have one G Poker Peas. They bought it as a sub-adult, and it's crazy and really nasty. And I don't know how you recommend that as a beginner species because mine is really nasty. And then I had to kind of be like, all right, yours is really nasty, but the majority of us report spiders aren't very nasty. So I think that's something we always need to keep in mind. I always try to look at how other people keep things. I, I do try to sit there. I watch other YouTube videos. I look at how other people keep spiders. I look at their what they say as far as temperament. When I do one of my videos, I do a, a search and try to figure out like what are people saying about the temperament? What are some of the good things we can expect? What are some of the bad things we can expect? You may have a docile one. You may have one that's skittish. I try to encompass all that so people have a pretty good view of what they can expect as far as a spectrum of behaviors. And I also, when talking about temperament and such, I or behavior, try to recognize that even if I have five Formictopus cancerities, that's still nothing compared to probably thousands of them that are currently being kept in the world. So I try to always go, this is what I've observed, but here's what other people have observed, and this is what you might expect. So let's try to keep in mind that we recognize, we always need to recognize the difference between anecdotal evidence, scientific evidence, and opinion and fact. And unfortunately, what this can sometimes lead to is we see stuff in our collections that we observe, it seems like decent enough evidence, and we consider it fact. And having an opinion or observing something does not necessarily mean that you are into a scientific fact there. It's always important to keep in mind, it's always important to listen to other people and hear what they have to say and not immediately jump to conclusions. I saw this in my collection, therefore it must be the case with all the spiders. It's not how it works. It's hard not to, because again, we love these animals, we spend a lot of time with them, we observe them, we see all their unique behaviors, we try to come up with reasons why they're doing it. It's, it's very easy to jump to conclusions on, but we have to remember that even if we're keeping 10 of a species, that's a fraction, a, a minute fraction of the number of that animal, that species that's being kept around the world at that time. You, you owe it to yourself to do some more research, check out what other people are reporting. Okay, you may be seeing this in your collection. This may be something that's happening with your spider. It doesn't necessarily, it's not necessarily indicative of what happens to all of them. So always keep in mind that your observations, that what you see with your tarantula, it's all important information, but only when kind of contributed to what everybody else is keeping. So we can kind of look at a lot of different samples and determine whether or not this is an actual pattern, whether it might be actually fact, or if it's just something that's happening in one person's collection. Number two, I told you this one was coming, and I think it's one of the absolute most important ones on here. Unfortunately, and again, I think maybe this is my teaching perspective, that not everybody is good at this, and sometimes when we chastise folks for it, it's kind of mean, because I've if one thing I've learned over the years, some people are really good at this and get how to do it, and some people just aren't particularly great at it. Number two, do your research before buying the animal. I we've all seen it. We've we've and this is one of the things that kind of flares up on the boards when people post. Hey, I just went out and bought four spiders. Can somebody tell me how to keep them? Yes, it's it's irritating. It can be almost offensive to folks that are looking at it like, hey, these are living animals and you haven't done your research. I know I've talked to dealers before that say they get a lot of emails and a lot of folks that will buy an animal and then immediately email, hey, I just bought this. How do you care for it? It's a huge part of the hobby. Obviously, I've made a name for Tom's Big Spiders and doing this stuff for trying to provide people with the information they need to set up their spiders in a, a format that's easy for them to follow. But there are people out there, that, like I said with the videos, they, they will find a video for it. And I don't know what the deal is. They either won't watch the video or they watch the video and nothing sinks in. When you're doing research, that involves using critical thinking skills 
being able, you know, nowadays we have every bit of information we could possibly want and a lot of information we'd never want at the touch of our fingertips, even just on our cell phones. It's very easy to put in a species name. I could do it right now on my phone and pull up a million things. It's sometimes difficult, though, for people to weed through what is credible evidence. We've we've seen it in media lately with like, how do you know which source to, to trust? Which source has an agenda? When you're looking up stuff on tarantulas, how do you know if this person really knows what they're talking about? We've spoken before about the fact that there are folks out there that well run websites talking about how to care for these guys like they're authority figures that have kept two species their entire lives. They have no authority on this whatsoever. They have no experience. They're just putting information up there that they can't even evaluate if it's true themselves. So it's a very difficult world out there for somebody that's just getting into the hobby that may not be used to doing research. I mean, think about how many of us were in school that when they said do a research paper got excited and went, oh, I can't wait to do this. We hated them. Most of us hated them. That, that, that wasn't something you wanted to do in school. So I think, unfortunately, sometimes we get very judgmental when it comes to this, and I know it can be frustrating. I get it. And I know people will say, and I, and I can't necessarily argue against this, it's very easy to put in the, the name of the spider in a search bar and get information. I get it. I, get, I really do. But sometimes people they just don't learn that way. Sometimes they can read a whole article and not get much from it. They would rather go online and go, hey, I'm getting this species. How do you guys keep it? What do you do with them? What do you? What type of environment do you get? What type of setup? Is, is that good? No. I mean, ideally, the person would have done this before they got the spider, but it happens. It's going to continue to happen. We're never going to stop people from doing it. However... It doesn't stop me from putting on the list and hopefully, you know, maybe actually now I'm looking at this, I could easily type this up and have it on my website for folks looking. Maybe that could be the first thing on the site. People say, hey, here are some things I should think about before I get into it. That's huge. And I do implore people and I don't want people to think I'm just forgiving it because sometimes it is. Sometimes you see situations where people get something, they they set it up completely wrong and then they go back later and go, oh, I didn't do any research. I just kind of dropped it in a 10 gallon aquarium with some, I don't know, aquarium gravel or something. I, obviously, there's some egregious examples of people out there not doing their research and setting the spiders up in a way that, that is terrible for the spiders. We need to, as a hobby, get better at doing this. I would love it if everybody out there did their research before buying the animal. I have it on here because I think it's important for people to see, and I think it's important. Sometimes what happens is people, they jump in, they go to pet store, they pick it up, they go to Petco or something, they see something, a, a tarantula, it's an impulse buy, and then they do the research. And then a lot of those people later on recognize that they screwed up, and they start doing all the research afterwards. So we need to remind people, is it ever going to be perfect? No. Are there always going to be people out there that are buying stuff without doing the research? Yes. Is it our responsibility as a hobby to make sure that they eventually get that information some way, some shape or form. I do believe that it is as infuriating as it may be at times, but we do want to continue to remind people politely, hey, next time before you get one, do the research first. Go through, find a list of what you want. A lot of us, when we first got into the hobby, we put together a wish list and then we spent months researching how to keep these guys. That was my thing. That's what kind of kicked this all off is trying to take that research and put it in a way with my own experience so that somebody could be spared having to go out and read a million different care guides or dig through forums and stuff. They go, all right, this guy is keeping it. The, the spider seems to be doing well. I can kind of emulate this information and my spider will do okay. So I do try to make it as easy for people as possible. I think we do need to remind people to always do the research before buying the animal. But I also think we got to be realistic and recognize it's never going to be perfect. So number two, incredibly important, do your research first. 
And then number one, kind of the golden rule that all of these, well, some of them do involve keeper behavior. So I guess they don't all fall under it. But I think the golden rule, the thing that we always need to keep in mind, the thing that should be guiding everything we do in terms of being a responsible tarantula keeper, always put your animal first. It is a living animal. I know most people think spiders are gross. They're loathsome. They're creepy. They're to be killed. They light them on fire with hairspray and and lighters. They squish them when they see them. They think it's funny. We're not like that. We recognize how cool they are. We recognize how important they are to the ecosystems. We recognize how, you know, right now I, I use them for like pest control in my own house where you got a couple house spiders in there and they're taking every once in a while I get gnats or something and they take care of the gnats. They're amazing animals. We all recognize that. But a keyword animals. I know folks out there don't see them. I've had folks argue with me. My favorite is when you go, you keep them and I talk about them and I use the word animal. And I go, yeah, well, as animals, they go, they're not animals. Like, oh, for crying out loud, here we go. And then you have to kind of explain how they are animals. We need to always put our animals first. That means in terms of if you start doing social media, if you start doing YouTube, we've argued this before, your animals should always come first. It should never be these animals are a prop. These animals are something to get people onto my channel. These animals are a toy to get me some attention. It should be the animal first at all times. It, it's the same thing with setups. I have a lot of folks that will sadly go on a video where I talk about something being a fossorial and go, hey, I know it's a fossorial, but I really want to see my spider. So I put it on one inch of substrate and gave it a hide. I have to kind of hold back that the fact that I want to call them a jerk because that's not putting the animal first. If you want an animal that you're going to see, then buy one that doesn't necessarily need a burrow to feel safe and secure. You are not putting the animal first. I hate to say it, but people that say I don't do water dishes because they're too much of a pain in the butt, you're not putting the animal first. You're making you're basically making your job easier when we know for a fact they will use water dishes. I had to work the water dish thing in. It's my thing. Sorry. Um, they, it's important that we always, first and foremost, remember they are incredible animals. And as such, they demand our respect. They demand our best care. They demand us to not treat them as toys or accessories or props. I know we talk a lot about people anthropomorphizing tarantulas and we can talk about the negative aspects of it, but I do think there is a positive aspect of it because people that tend to anthropomorphize their animals, which is give them, you know, human characteristics, they tend to see them with a bit more compassion than normally we would maybe see spiders. And I think that can sometimes be a good thing. I, I think we all do it to a point. I think we love these. We talk to our animals. We, you know, we, we make little voices when we, we feed them. And stuff. Some of us do. I know I do sometimes. I talk to them. If you've ever watched my rehousing videos, I'm talking to the spider. I know it doesn't hear me, but it just it feels like it just makes me feel more comfortable doing it. I think that if, if there's a good side of people that are kind of giving their animals human characteristics, it means they're going to be a little more attentive, a little more treated. They're never going to lose sight of the fact that these are living animals. These are living creatures. They actually see them more as thinking and feeling than maybe they do. But that can be a good thing because it means they're going to give them the best care possible. And I have spoken to people that you can tell absolutely adore them. They treat them like many of us would a dog or a cat, but in a healthy way that they just want to make sure they're doing the best by their spiders at all times. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. So if anything we follow, always put your animals first, treat them with respect, treat them as, as living creatures, and always remember that we are privileged to be able to keep them. I really see it as a privilege. I know some folks would look at us like it's a punishment, like, oh my God, they have to keep all those creepy crawlies. 
it's a privilege for us to be able to keep and we always need to keep that in mind and i think that's the point one of the things that you know kind of formed this list is the fact that in some regions of the world we are in a precarious position as far as our ability to be able to continue keeping these guys the way we have with as much impunity as we have i know it's something we've enjoyed for many years in the states and that could all sometime go away and that would be a horrible horrible thing so Always keep that in mind. So to go through the list, number 10, never use your animals to intimidate or to scare folks. Number nine, only support reputable dealers. Number eight, stay informed. Number seven, stay away from hybrids and do not try to purposely hybridize your animals. Number six, represent the hobby in a professional and intelligent manner to non-hobbyists. Number five, when on social media involving spiders, when you're talking about spiders, conduct yourself with respect and dignity. Number four, educate. Don't berate. Number three, always try to recognize the difference between opinion and fact and anecdotal versus scientific. Number two, do your research before buying the animal. And our number one, put your animals first. So I'm sure there's folks out there that have ideas for other ones. I would love to hear it. We could always add to this. This is something that, you know, I kind of put together after uh, over the last couple weeks and was trying to come up with like 10 of them just because, you know, the 10 just seems to be a nice solid number. But there could always be things we put in there as a, a whole. Like if people chime in, let me know what you think should be on here. What did I miss? I'm sure I missed something. Although I've been thinking of this, even going into this, there was a couple that last me I was like, oh God, I got to mention this. What are things that we would like to have if we were going to put up our, like if we were going to have some, say, turn the hobby into an actual group. It's an actual group like the church of tarantulas and we're going to have our list of our commandments that everybody should be following if they're going to be a good keeper what should be on there i'd love to hear from folks so please chime in email leave a facebook message that will do it for this one i actually thought this one was going to be a quick one and apparently i just talked your ears off for almost an hour so sorry about that but those that have longer drives there you go you got a longer uh, episode as always, you can find me on TomsBigSpiders.com. You can find me on TomsBigSpiders.YouTube. That's a new one. You can find me on YouTube under TomsBigSpiders. Last video was Fufias Species Gold. I've been trying to get some care guides out there for the nine tarantulas that I keep. And these guys, a lot of people have been picking them up asking me, hey, do you don't happen to have anything on these guys? Well, I do. I've been keeping them for over a year now. We have some adults, so... Anybody wants to check those out, please do. That will do it for this one. As always, guys, stay safe, and we'll catch you all next time.